Jim Wallace here, and you're listening to a special edition of The Soul of the Nation, a podcast about how our faith should shape our politics and not the other way around. Today, I'm speaking with Ruth Padilla DeBorst about the impact of COVID-19 on the global body of Christ and what we can learn from the response and leadership being offered around the world to this crisis. Ruth Padilla DeBorst is a leader of missional leadership with a Resonate Global Mission and heads up the Community of Interdisciplinary Theological Studies in Latin America. She's a member of Casa Adobe, an intentional community in Santa Rosa, Costa Rica. Ruth is a theologian and a practitioner, both at the same time. I've been very blessed by her work and ministry. She's spoken at Sojourners Conferences, and we're blessed to have her today from Costa Rica. Ruth, how is your spirit? Uh, uh, Thank you, Jim, for having me. My spirit is heavy with uh, the burden of so much uh, death and havoc wreaked on the life of so many people. At the very same time, grappling with how do we experience resurrection hope in the midst of all this. We've just gone through Easter and meditated on on um, the power of resurrection over death, over everything that hinders the fullness of life that God intends for us. So really kind of pondering, okay, what does that really look like in the midst of this current pandemic? in a bit of an in-between space, I guess, is where my spirit is these days, Jim. Mm-hmm. It's almost that holy Saturday time, that in-between space. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. On Good Friday, I had felt this image strongly of Christ's hands stretched out on that cross, um, nailed to a cross, saying to a coronavirus world, I can't stop your suffering, but I'm with you in the suffering and an Easter hands beckoning to us saying, okay, I can make all things new. Come and join me do that. But I've been reflecting that, you know, even the disciples weren't sure about this resurrection on the Sunday. It took a while for people to understand that he was risen and risen indeed. And what does that mean? So yesterday here we reached in the U S 26,000 deaths. In the United yeah. States, with more than 128,000 deaths worldwide and 2 yes. million confirmed cases. Mm-hmm. So here, this virus has revealed gaping inequalities and unequal suffering, particularly in terms of race and poverty. Mm-hmm. And given our colonial history and our relationship with all of Latin America and the world, we know that will be true all over the world. What can you tell us about how this crisis is revealing those inequalities and, and, and unequal suffering in Costa Rica and other places you're in contact with every day all over the world. Yeah, so you so on the one hand, that is very true. Um, I mean, we talk about staying home and physical distancing and such, um, which is something absolutely impossible for millions of people who mm-hmm. live in very precarious conditions jammed um, to into 
tiny spaces and sharing um, a, one latrine with several other families and such. And so um, it just definitely is just reveals the vast inequality in our society at the same time. And this is something that might even surprise you, Jim. Costa Rica is a fascinating um, example of what can be done if there is a social consciousness that actually marks the policies of a government. Costa Rica doesn't have an army. It hasn't had an army since mid uh, 20th century. And instead of spending on a standing army, on weapon buildup, and this whole military budget, they've invested in health and education. And at a time like this, when a crisis hits, that is extremely evident in the way people are being cared for. Um, the government has determined that it, regardless of nationality, of be, having documents to be um, considered legal in the country or not, whoever, immigrant, refugee, stateless person, wealthy, poor, everybody gets tested. And so the rate of dissemination of this virus and of death is really, really in, held in check. And it just uh, reveals what can happen when people at the top actually have a consciousness about the well-being and the common good rather than just their self-interest. That's fascinating. Um, Noel Castellanos, who you know as well, called me on Sunday and he works back and forth in a place in Mexico City. Of course, Mexico City is twice the population of New York City. And the whole area he works in with 2 million people with no clinics, no hospitals, and even hardly any roads. And what would happen if COVID-19 hit there? But you're saying Costa Rica, it's really an example of how we could respond to this. But you're suggesting you were prepared for it. You were prepared because of the way the society had been organized. Exactly. Well, just the fact that, I mean, just the priorities, right? If there is a social consciousness, if there is a, an awareness that the place of government is to guarantee the well-being of people and not just to serve the interests of a few or to line one's pockets, it makes a big difference. That's something we can be grateful for at the same time as we mourn the lack of that kind of consciousness on the part of many governments in the world. So the people contracting this deadly virus and dying has been really checked in Costa Rica, you're telling us. Yes, thus far at least. We'll see how it progresses, but um, just the way things have been taken with such responsibility is, has been fascinating to to be a part of. My husband and I ourselves were tested because of symptoms and were amazed at how easy it was to access that. Wow. Well, I wish we could say the same here. My own sister in Michigan wasn't able to get tested and mm -hmm. uh, her family now has it. So you're in touch though with people all over the world. You have a global network, a global perspective. So you're hearing an awful lot, seeing an awful lot. What are you hearing and seeing from your brothers and sisters, particularly in the global South? Yeah, the reality is that the, the gap between those who are able to sustain, those of us with the privilege of holding our jobs because we have a cushion and we can do 
online work and we can stay on top of our responsibilities in a virtual world compared to those who are left um, absolutely vulnerable because of the informal economy and the fact that if they don't work, they don't get paid and they're being held back from getting out in public. And so there are whole swaths of population that are actually protesting because they need to work, otherwise they cannot eat. And so the extreme inequality of a system that has for so long perpetuated difference and exclusion and marginalization is just made even more blatantly obvious in this time all around the world and particularly in the global south we're just bracing ourselves for the fact that now that which has happened primarily up in the northern hemisphere probably even linked to the colder weather and such but once it gets down into Africa, Latin America, Southern Asia and such, we're just really fearful that it's going to be, it's going to be really, really tragic. So that is, that is the yeah. scene. It's, that's yeah. the burden. When you say your colleagues, these are people that you've lived and worked and struggled with for a long time, tell us more about what they're fearing in particular and how they're bracing themselves, as you put it. Yeah, I guess, you know, one of the, well, the fear, obviously, is that the onslaught will be so, just these waves um, of, of illness and unrestrained fusion um, is spreading through the entire population, particularly in these slums or precarious neighborhoods where people live really piled up on top of each other. But of course, this is coupled also with the, the lack of work and the fact then that people are, are struggling to see how they're possibly going to bring food home to their families. And so bracing themselves, people trying to see how they can creatively organize in cooperative systems and mutual support of different mo in different manners, particularly here in our local community in Casa Adobe, Several of our members have lost all their source of income, but we have been incredibly blessed to have a, a little lot, some land. So as I'm speaking, about six, seven of our community members are out working hard in the garden so that at least there can be food. Now, of course, we recognize that as an incredible privilege when people have no access to land, no opportunity to, to farm, to plant a seed and get some food from there. So thinking about opportunities for communal farming, for community gardens and such that could be whatever could be done before the winter comes and things get even more dire. Sarah Lewis know you as a global spokesperson. But tell us a little bit about that community. You live in this local community. Tell us a little bit what that is and what that's like, what's your base there. Yes, so Casa Adobe is our, is our home. It's our extended family. It's our intentional Christian community. We've been around for probably seven, eight, nine years, depending on where we count the beginning of it. But currently we're 15 different people, several different families, and a couple single people a refugee family from El Salvador, a refugee family from Venezuela. We share a common pot for all our expenses. We share morning prayer, some of the, and the household responsibilities and 
what we understand about ourselves is we're not just, we don't just go to church on an occasion a week. Uh, we are try seeking to live as the church mm -hmm. from Monday through Sunday, both in the way we relate to our creator, to one another, to the broader neighborhood and society here in Costa Rica. So, um, and also to the rest of creation. So really living more sustainably, seeking to be responsible as members of the creation community by the way we consume or don't consume things, uh, how we dispose of trash or, or don't create trash, how we eat and garden and such, but also then uh, being good neighbors in Santa Rosa, Santo Domingo, Heredia, Costa Rica, where we live, and extending the learnings in a companionship with our neighbors. So some community gardening and urban, some workshops and such for urban gardening for people that don't have the privilege of a land as we do, and English classes and after-school programs for the children so that they don't slink out of school and can find their way forward in life and just overall seeking to be good neighbors and and then more at a at a broader level engaged in the permanent table for migratory issues that is called on was convoked by the government and the UNDP and being able to then help relocate refugees particularly those seeking political asylum or such because of violence in their places of origin and seeking to network so as to provide some support to to them so they can find and begin a new life here in Costa Rica. So that's a bit of a glimpse of who we are. It's yeah, very exciting. You mentioned the word neighbor. So Easter is uh, was never a day to go back to normal as it's being used here by the White House and others, but rather a day to say there's a new normal now. We're not going mm -hmm. to go back to normal. So how could this crisis transform and deepen our understanding of our neighbor? Use that word neighbor. How could this transform yes, yes. our understanding and even globally do that? So when we think about neighborliness, I mean, we're not just thinking about having sharing a sidewalk or, or taking over some cookies during Christmas. Neighborliness and being fully human and being being one and neighbors to one another, how do we imagine that? And I think we need to, again, recognize how the fact that we're created in the image of a God who is community, the community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who, who are distinct in functions and the way they reveal themselves, but are still united and um, drawn together in love and mutual respect and in a common vocation of sustaining life, of nourishing life, and and bringing reconciliation into everything that is broken. And so when we think about neighborliness, then if that is our image of, of the perfect community, of the perfect neighborhood, then we definitely don't want to return to a normal that excludes people, that exploits creation, where relationships are broken and marred by by sin and injustice and exclusion and marginalization. And so the invitation to a new mode of neighborliness, of being together, of being one, of, of really living out our, hum our vocation as created community in the likeness of the 
God, who is community, will then demand a mutuality and an interconnectedness, not only with our fellow human beings, but also with with non-human animals and plants and the whole of creation. That's the imagination I think we need to renew when we look at the newness of Easter, (laughs) of returning to a normal that is not one of exclusion and exploitation, but one that that really reflects the the goodness, the oneness of of God's self. That's a powerful reimagination of neighborliness as a theologian. Would you now also try and help us in a post-COVID-19 world reimagine our notion of what we call the body of Christ globally? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's... it's um... We've just come through Easter, and the body of Christ takes on a very material, very concrete expression, right? When we think about a physical body being beaten and hung and and mocked and taken down from the cross and had spices put on that dead body. Um, and then we see the image of Jesus showing up to his disciples and in in real skin and flesh with the wounds still evident the scars on his hands and his side that's a very physical very material embodied non-deniable body and so when we think about the body of Christ as as God's people in the world as the church it is not just some idea out there and less, even less, is it just an institutional bureaucracy that needs to be sustained even now with COVID having to do it virtually and make sure that church happens as it always has happened, as if it were just a show that needs to go on. The show must go on. But actually, can we rethink ourselves as that physical embodiment of of God's creation, and how then do we relate to one another in such a way that we we do reflect the scars and our we're on, honest about our brokenness and our limitations and the fact that we can't save ourselves from this virus and from all the many maladies that have brought about this this virus, but that actually as as a body we reflect. God's nature. Now, what does that look like when we can't even be physically present? How are we body? Um, how are we put together with all our members into into one unit with Christ as the head when we can't even be physically together? I've been challenged by an ancient, ancient forefather of ours, Gregory the First, who was very strong on the value of prayer as a, an active engagement in favor of others. How can we live out this bodiliness even when we can't be physically together is in really taking these burdens of pain and loss and unemployment and loneliness and grief and trauma uh, before the throne of our loving brother Jesus, the Lord of the universe. So that's an invitation to reimagine how we can be that body 
even with all the limitations of the current situation. And then for some, it may mean just reaching out beyond the limits of what seems logical. When the early, our early mothers and fathers in the early church were confronted with illnesses, rather than fleeing the cities, they entered the cities to accompany the people who were being affected by plagues. And so there is a place to question, to what extent do we need to just even put our own bodies on the line as Jesus did. You know, we're involved, you're involved, we're involved together in some of the conversations about how the body of Christ is now more located in the global south and in the the north and, and how those relationships are changing and how leadership is coming now from the global south to the north. But I think COVID-19 could even accelerate that process of relationship. I don't know how. We don't know what's mm. coming. We don't know what's coming for the global south yet, as you just pointed out. But how could COVID-19 take what is happening in the church already, where where the global south is really rising up to teach and evangelize, if you will, the rest of the world? How could COVID-19 yeah. even impact that? We None of us know what's going to happen, but but how, how might you even imagine that? You know, Jim, I think one of the challenges for the church in the global north, North Atlantic, and in wealthier, more privileged areas of the world, the problem uh, at, the, at the core has been the association, the acritical association of faith with power and the construction of Christendom modes of being and the expectation that this is a, a Christian nation, as if such a thing really existed. Mm. Um, and so followers of Jesus Christ from the global south at large, historically, have not had that lived within that matrix. They've lived as minorities. We've lived as the small pockets of outliers out there that don't fit into into the establishment of power and and that has given us a freedom to imagine things from outside power from outside privilege from outside the givens of um, expectations of this symbiotic relationship between state and and faith and so i think one that is one of the challenges now the big risk is that people from the global south look to the north as the model and so if the North has established big mega churches with big budgets and, and the church itself sustains the lifestyle of a wealthy pastor with Italian suits, then, and if that's the imagination and that's what we need to replicate, then we're, we're then we don't have anything to share with the North. Then we're just being replicas of, of a very problematic mode of being church. Um, I think it is precisely in the small pockets and the out of the, uh, the churches at the margins and the people that have not bought into that model of prosperity gospel and, and uh, Christendom that there is still hope for a renewal of the body of Christ uh, globally. And I think that's the challenge. My son, of course, like all of us, our, our children are home from college and high school. And my son just last night walked in and said, you know, Dad, I'm, I'm reading all this stuff, and it seems like before Constantine, the church <laughs> was, was like more what you think it should be. Uh -huh. uh, and you're talking about that outsider uh -huh. status. Uh -huh. that the, uh -huh. 
that outsider status to recover that again would be so, so foundational to really reclaiming Jesus and what it means to be the body of Christ as an outsider community in the midst of all that power. As a minority, as not seeking to build up big institutions and buildings and budgets to sustain big buildings and institutions and budgets and just kind of get into that rut, but actually seeking small pockets of all of people who are questioning any status quo that is threatening the abundant life that God wants for all of creation. And that happens often much more in small pockets and homes and in communities and local expressions of, of faith communities, often very much at the margins and where the imagination, the energy, the, the time, the creativity is not dedicated just to building up institutions, but into being present to other people and to sharing the good news of God's presence in the midst of the joys and the challenges of life. One thing that's clear to me more and more each day is that we're not going to be the same as we were before this COVID-19 pandemic. How we're going to be different isn't at all clear yet, Mm -hmm. but this is going to change us historically. You wrote in an interview with Primary Christianity, your theological work, you said, grows out of life and Mm -hmm. feeds into life Mm -hmm. and of seeing God in the daily things. So as you listen and watch, as you do every day, not just your own nation, but you watch around the world, where are you seeing God in the day-to-day life during this pandemic? And how is COVID-19 currently shaping even your theological work and your praxis? How could it change even that? Yeah, I think we're, we're definitely in flux. We're asking those questions daily, like, because the first thought is, oh, well, well, when, when this is over, then we can kind of keep, keep going with life as, as is. Um, and we're beginning to realize, no, this is not, and it, this is not only a crisis, it's also an opportunity to rethink our values, to rethink what we consider normal, to, it's just putting out, exposing the cracks, the deep, deep crevices between people and such. And, and so, but I think we, we run the risk of trying to fill up our time when we used to travel more. And now, we, now we're just going to fill up our time with webinars and, and Zoom <laughs> conversations and, 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 and all this co- more talk, more talk, more talk. So we don't hmm. have to really allow the severity of the drastic change that is happening under our own feet to strike home and to open us up to what God might want to do in us, in spite of us, through us, with us, among us, in the midst of all of this. Of course, there are people saying, oh, COVID is God's judgment on the world, and this is what God's will for us. And I I don't believe God wills pain and death and devastation as what we're seeing. But I am absolutely certain that God can work good out of in the midst of this if we have ears to hear and eyes to see and to, you know, we've been just reading the way the couple on their way to Emmaus, abandoning Jerusalem and unable to see Jesus. So I think Mm -hmm. more than anything at this point, I think the invitation to us and something I'm seeking is, okay, how do I see Jesus in the midst of this? How do I recognize Mm -hmm. Jesus? Where do we recognize Jesus? And, And what then are we called 
too. Are we called to return to Jerusalem, but in a different mode? What is the call? I think that we see Jesus today in people who are giving hours and hours and hours apart from their family to care for other people way beyond the, the hours that they've officially been assigned as caretakers or nurses or doctors and such. And, and that's happening. We see it in, in the expressions of accompaniment of people just willing to sit with, with others who are in mourning. But I think more than anything right now is being open to that question of what, what does God want? How does God want to fashion us, mold us as God's people in God's world for a post-COVID or a enduring COVID phase of history? Hmm. That's a good warning about becoming a webinar or a Zoom culture hmm. uh, instead of being on the ground. On one of those Zoom calls, uh, Sojourners had its board meeting by Zoom, of course, like a lot of us are doing. Sure. Mm-hmm. And Tim Costello, a good friend of both of ours, said yes. this in our board meeting. He said he had been in, he counted 19 as the leader of World Vision Australia for such a long time, 19 humanitarian crises, 19 places mm-hmm. and times. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is different because in mm-hmm. every other crisis, you finally can move out of the humanitarian crisis area. Mm-hmm. Outside mm-hmm. of it, there's an economy. It's normal. It's functioning. You want to get donations from the economy into the area. Right. But, but this doesn't, there's no, you don't walk outside of this humanitarian crisis. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not limited in scope to a geographic area. And so he said, we have to learn all over again, uh, how in this kind of pandemic that could impact every country and most communities, how do we do that? Now, of course, a concern I have is in the midst of this, we're talking so much about COVID because it's just, it's inevitable. It's, it's, it's the air we breathe. Right. Um, or hopefully not. Um, but to me, very uh, an accompanying concern, a parallel concern is how are we dealing with the reality of the changing climate and the impact of our actions that mm. has that in a way also have brought about the expansion of this of this virus. The fact that we've been intervening in the animal world, pushing, pulling, we have disregarded, disrespective, transgressed the borders of a correct cohabitation as part of, of the creation community mm-hmm. by stepping over into the animal kingdom and abusing of it in such a way now that this virus even came from, from the non-human animals to human animals. And if we're not aware of the need for a respectful engagement as part of that creation community and a balance, we are. this is just the beginning of a tragic consequence. And again, it's not that God wills that we get infected, but we, just as he warned in the garden, the consequences of our transgressing the natural order and interrelatedness, respectful relationships in the creation community, they will bring even worse consequences. And so as we're thinking about the immediate and how to engage right now and how to 
support people that are being affected and how how do we engage with the economic downfall and everything. We also need to continue recasting our relationship as part of the creation community. Otherwise, we're just we're just gonna it'll have a new name next in a couple of years. There'll be some a new global tragedy or pandemic. And the and the reality is at this point at least there are more people dying because of climate change than because of COVID and the elevating waters and the decertification of certain areas and the lack of the change in the conditions that is leaving thousands and millions of people unemployed and having to be uprooted and moved to be able to find sustenance. So this pit, this happens in a bigger picture that is as critical and as tragic or more than COVID itself. And so I think we need to, as Christians, just really kind of take that step back to get the wide angle of the portrait and not just focus narrowly on one symptom of it. Ruth, I hear you're saying, this is very, very helpful to me. I hear you saying that it's not like things are going well and normal, and then we have a disaster in the disaster area. And then we go in and fix the disaster and hopefully reduce the suffering. Mm -hmm. But this virus is, there's no disaster area. In fact, it's revealing how everything was a disaster area in many ways because of climate change and and, and the economy that excludes so many people. Even in this country, half of Americans are one check, one paycheck away from distress, even in the richest country in the world. So you're saying this disaster reveals how we have, accepted the world as a disaster area yep just become like frogs in the in the heating up water unable to recognize that that it's it's getting too too hot just normal is kind of neutralizing our sense of alert (laughs) well so what we learn from this is that if we don't see what has become of us and how we must be new and different and change concrete things that this will keep happening over and over again. But the story won't be just the new virus, but how the world is becoming a disaster area for all the things that are so critical to our lives. And and our faith as Christians can't just be rubber stamping things as they are. And, mm. and in this case saying, okay, well then, what it means to be a Christian in this case is just to keep trying to sustain our Sunday services, but do them online. I mean, we, it, it, needs to re, it needs to be deep enough to recast our imaginations and our recognitions and our acknowledgement and our lament and our confession so that we, we may be changed and we may be, we can step out of the rut of of that which is, which is so very wrong. So Christians aren't those who just rubber stamp the system and help clean up disasters, uh-huh. but ask about the whole system, what it's become. Exactly. And how that's a disaster for human life and for mm-hmm. community and for our faith. Mm-hmm. You wrote an article for us. This is the last question I have. You said something here I want to quote and then ask you to reflect on it now. And then I would like you to, at the end, uh, just offer a prayer for the global body of Christ at this time, at the end, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. 
to ask you. So in a 2019 article for Sojourners, you posed this question. Might submission to the gift-granting, truth-telling, life-empowering spirit not be more honoring of the community of love when the gifts, revelations, and power granted are used in service of the common good far beyond the walls and trenches of a church institutions rather than hoarded within them? Now, that question that you raised in a 2019 article in Sojourners seems to me to be to raise so many of the challenges that we have that have always existed, but have become so especially uh, revealed or challenging in light of this pandemic, truth-telling, community, common good, hoarding. Based on this question, what do you think the response must be now from our churches, institutions, and, and individual Christians, especially as you pose this question, for those of us who live in this systemic global north, which has totally been unable to respond to this. Well, you know, it, it seems to me that one of the one of the issues at the core of our capacity to follow Jesus in the world today in the midst of COVID has to do a lot with where we imagine we draw power from and who for, what for. And and I think the call there when I wrote that, one of the, the things is just recognizing the the place of the Holy Spirit in in calling God's people into the vocation for which we were created. Because too often there is the assumption that we operate yes, we believe, but then in concrete ways we operate out of out of the resources we have, out of the power that has been granted by our privilege, by our race, by our wealth, by our our status in the world or whatever. And so it seems to me like one of the things COVID is doing, it's been a bit of a equalizer in that people who are dying or being affected by it from all kinds of different backgrounds although, again, the most vulnerable will always be the most affected. But then the question is, okay, what is the Holy Spirit trying to uh, imprint in us about our, our limitations, our inability to save ourselves, our inability, even with wealth, even with power, even with all these things we so often confide, uh, trust in, build our, our, our confidence on, where where does our confidence lie? Where is our source of, of power to live rightly, justly in the midst of, of these things? And the place of the Holy Spirit as the great comforter, the truth teller, the one that convicts us so that we might then recognize Jesus on the way to Emmaus or in the midst of COVID. Ruth Padilla divorced. You have been a theologian for us today, a prophet and a pastor, really a pastor. Could you, would you offer a prayer for the global body of Christ at this time to close us out today? Happily, yes. So our God community of love, we we come before you with the burdens, the questions. We come before you at loss for words, even how to come before you often, how to articulate um, the 
confusion that this pandemic is creating and and the, the many questions that arise. But we come before you with confidence that you invite us to before your throne of grace to because you are you invite us as your siblings, as your sisters and brothers, not just as slaves. So even in the midst of our inarticulate cries, we want to acknowledge your presence. We pray that your spirit may reveal that presence of yours in the midst of all these questions and all the pain. We pray that your spirit may renew our hope, may make effective in us the power of Christ's resurrection and the fact that you are still a good God and you do care about your creation, every last corner of it, every last inhabitant of this world and beyond. So Lord, we we come with that, with those questions, with that lament, and with that search for hope and renewed faith. We have some, but we pray that you will renew it deeply so that we may live as your people in your world in this corner and that one across borders across ideologies across genders and all those things that our world would make us um, would put there to separate us we pray that we may be united in that call in that searching for your presence and that in that way we may become your presence in your world we yearn to reflect who you are, even with all our brokenness. Take, take us, shape us, allow us to reflect your love, to embody your love in each and every place where you have us. We pray through your Son with the confidence of your Spirit calling us to you as our Father. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. This is Jim Wallace for the soul of the nation. God bless you.